Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Steele. <laughs> Good morning, Midwife Bliss. Happy last day of May. Happy last day of May. Yeah, I wanted me. to know, I was thinking about right before we started, you know, last time you jumped in, I think, because you just were so excited that you had printed stuff to, to be able to read from. Um, but uh, I wanted to know, like, how does it feel being back in LA? Do you miss the beast being on the road? Like, you didn't say anything about that. I needed some time to think about it. Um, Reflect. Yeah, there's obviously advantages to both and disadvantages to both. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm enjoying myself right now and it doesn't really matter where I am. I will just say that. Good. I love it. Yeah. So just to answer your question, um, I'm going back on the road again tomorrow. Yeah. So I'll be gone for a while. Uh, again, about three weeks. I'm off. But to... not in the beast. No, the beast, <laughs> I took the beast in for repairs and the, the list is long. So <laughs> we'll see what that, what happens. I hope to have the beast back by the, um, by the middle of August. I mean, I, I don't think I'll be back in the beast, but then I'll take a long trip end of August, September or into October. Um, I've got several different um, reteach breach seminars I'm doing in the, in the Midwest and up into Wyoming and Montana um, we'll announce those things coming up. The ones coming up this week will be in Reading, California on June 4th and 5th, which will be after this comes out. And then I'll be in Oahu on, uh, June, I think it's, uh, 11th and 12th. Great. Um, I'm coming back to Santa Barbara on June 16th to do what? Um, we're going to do a live audience recording, um, location to be determined, to be announced. Um, but if you guys are interested in, uh, in being with us in person, uh, come to Santa Barbara. That's a Friday. So you could enjoy Santa Barbara on the weekend. Or if you're here locally, come and join us. We'd love to have you. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to need to promote that. It's only less than two. It's less than three weeks away. So we've got to get on that. Yeah, we'll do that. Or we'll have um, laughing tracks. It'll be fine. However, so. so before we get into today's stuff, I just have to say, and you can chime in, feel free, because we both knew him, um, that a colleague of ours passed away um, this week. Yes. Uh, I have no details, but he was, he was one of the good guys. He was a local yeah. obstetrician, Jay Goldberg. Yes. And he was um, supportive young. of what we did. Young, Yeah, he was in his 50s, which is young. And he was supportive of, of the of the model. He although he couldn't technically he was one of those guys that's between a rock and a hard place. He wanted to support what we did, but the, his um, business associates were not as uh, enlightened as he was, and ultimately put the hammer down on him. And so he couldn't really do it in the way that he I think he would have liked to have done it. But he was oh, yeah, always. He he backed me when uh when i first started it was wonderful it was a wonderful obstetrician yep yeah 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 so we're, uh, he will be missed in our community 
Very much so. We send our condolences to his family and those that were close to him. Okay, so briefly, last week's podcast. Um, Wait a minute. You keep doing this, mister. Oh. <laughs> You're so excited for your list that you don't check in with me. I have to. I have to well, I was going to check in with you. I was going to talk about last week's podcast. Oh, you Where's my the- little bell? I need my little bell for Stu. <laughs> Okay, All right, so go ahead, check in. I mean, do your podcast then. Well, I was good. Yeah, I, I just re-listened to it. Uh, we got it sent to us this morning and I just re-listened to it this morning. And I want to reiterate, if people who are listening to this podcast did not listen to last week's podcast, which we called um, Fear is what? Fear is a thief. thief. Fear is a mm-hmm. thief, right. Um, the whole podcast is really pretty good, but the, and <laughs> what else would I say? But the second half of the podcast where I, I talk about whooping cough from the book, Dissolving Illusions, is really a, a must listen to um, because it's so important. It's so indicative of what we're going through and what we've been through the last year or two. I just, I just, so, I'm so glad that I crossed paths with this book. You know, part of taking this journey in my RV never occurred to me that part of it would be that I have lots of time to listen to audiobooks, mm-hmm. but I was reading things that I would never have had time to read otherwise. And I'm, mm-hmm. I feel good about using that time wisely. I, I'm, I do waste a lot of time, but, but that time when you're driving, there's not much else to do. Oh, I look what at you your mean? face. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean waste time? Tell me uh, more about what that yeah, means. Yeah. Again, I can tell that that's not a good term to use, but you know, watching Stanley cup hockey, um, which is, you know, my team's not even in it. So it technically is a waste of time, (laughs) (laughs) but I do get, I do get uh, some endorphin release when I watch hockey. So it's, it's good, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all deserve to just do something that's mindless sometimes. I mean, I do puzzles. You could consider that a waste of time, but really it's just like, not having, you know, this culture is like always wanting us to like do, 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 do all the time. And it's okay. That's not a waste of time. It's a beautiful use of time to just do what feels good for you for a time. Okay. Then yeah. I take it back. I, I take it back and I appreciate that because that's why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. Because <laughs> you support me. Um yeah, and, and it was just it was just valuable, valuable minutes. So I just wanted to reiterate that. And then you chimed in periodically and you make me laugh and you you add a little comic relief when I'm going okay. off on a tangent and you bring it back and you and it's it's really it's just really good. I just love when we talk for our hour on once a week. So it's great. Well, I think there's a few people who enjoy it too. So that makes it even better. <laughs> and uh, I felt so I felt so silly when I said um when I couldn't remember fellow travelers. That's like the the brain of the older person kind of slowing down. It was so funny when you corrected me and I was like, how did I for, how did I like forget that? So funny. But yeah, whatever. and then you also and then, said we should we should call our podcast like the common sense podcast. And it's like, yeah, but the, it, we're always the common sense podcast. <laughs> that would be our tagline. Okay. So how are you doing and what are you doing? Thank you for asking. (laughs) Um, I am still here in Carpinteria. And to tell you the truth, I really wish I could stay. Um, I uh, 
haven't found a place yet. I've, I've gone to a couple places to check it out. Um, one was in um, Goleta and the other one was out in Lompoc, which people won't really know, but it was about an hour from Santa Barbara. And that, that one in Lompoc was perfect, had a view, had everything I needed, you know, it was great. Um, but I, you know, I, I did this kind of soul searching and I realized like, I don't think it's good for me right now to be so isolated. I think that even though I want to be out in nature and have it be quiet and pretty, I think for the time being, like being able to like go into yoga and meet people for coffee and like, um, have a busy social calendar, so to speak, I think is, is going to be what I need as I start to like build this new life in a new area, you know? Um, so that was good for me to like hone in on that for myself. So, um, but I'm going to be, I have July off. I have a client due at the beginning of June. Um, and she's showing all the signs. She's like 39 something weeks. Um, she's showing all the signs that she's probably going to deliver soon. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And my son Grant is going to be in LA for his birthday. So I'm hoping if she delivers, I'm going to go and see him in LA. And then I'm going to go down to Nicole Morales is doing a really amazing spinning babies, um, shoulder dystocia and breach workshop. Both are seven hours long. Um, and I can get CEUs and I can go and see all the people I love. And so I'm really hoping that this baby comes. I hope the baby's listening, the little baby fairies. (laughs) that help us out. Um, I'd really like to go and do those things. I can, I can see it in my eye, in my mind's eye that I'm going to be doing it. So I hope that this baby comes in. If you're meant meant to be down in San Diego with Nicole, then you, then you will. I know you're so right. (laughs) So funny when you get your own wisdom put back towards you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And (laughs) and, I am, I am regurgitating your, your wisdom. (laughs) Um, You're right. Speaking of San Diego, um, oh, speaking of San Diego, briefly, um, I I did go down a couple of days ago and spent the day with my daughter, um, and uh, that was lovely because I hadn't seen her in a few months because of, mm-hmm. of my travels, mm-hmm. and uh, we did go to uh, out for a nice lunch, and then we went to see uh, Top Gun Maverick, which was I it good? To, which I have to say was very good. Oh, good. I haven't been to the movies in a while, so I'll go see yeah, that. Yeah, it was it was very it was very good. I thought it was better than the first one actually because it had it had um, a better plot, you know, a better like thing that they were fighting for. Oh, okay, right, good, okay, great. So, um, and then okay, of course, I do I do have um, some questions for you today, which I haven't done in a long time. When we first started to do the podcast together, I'd always have these questions that I would ask you. So whenever you see it fit in our, in our little time before we listen to the interview, I do have some questions for you. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. And also, I don't know, again, we'll, we'll probably have to postpone it again, but, but sometime I still want to do the um, time for name something the hospital does, and I'll tell you why it's wrong segment, which we still haven't had one segment of it yet, but I'm <laughs> I'm going to keep it alive because I think it'll be fun. And people will hear, I, I, I brought it up in the last podcast, so maybe this week we'll get some people writing in how they want to tell me something that happened to them in the hospital, and then I can explain to them why it's wrong. And, yeah. it, and no matter what it is, it'll be wrong. <laughs> I'll put it in my stories. Um, so a couple quick things. I just wanted to um, do some dark humor. By the way, first of all, you know, we talk, we talk about cynicism 
on the podcast sometimes. And, you know, and I, I tend to be a little bit cynical. No. But then I was thinking about the use of language all the time. And I'm wondering, is cynicism just a pejorative label for honesty? No. It's not? No. Oh, shoot. <laughs> like it might be. But go, tell me your thought. I want to hear your thought. Probably. No, that's my thought. I mean, it's it's like. That, that was my thought. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's a good thought. I would say that in many forms it is. Okay. Because when somebody calls you a cynic, mm-hmm. it's basically because you doubt them or you disagree with them, correct? Well, it's more that you have like a negative way of look, like you're skeptical and you're about most things. I think that when you get that term cynical, it's like you're kind of always looking for the the, the negative. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you have a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of sarcastic uh, tone to what you say too, is right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, here's, here's something. <laughs> cynical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, I got, you know, I got my uh, explanation of benefits, you know, before I went on my trip, I had a whole bunch of x-rays and radiology studies done and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> And I got my explanation of benefits from Medicare, from my Anthem, uh, I, I think it's Medicare Part B or whatever it is. I, I can't keep them all. I know Part D is prescriptions, but I can't remember what the rest of them are. So anyway, so they this, this radiology place charged for something, they charged $5,057 for a bunch of different tests that I did, did done. And then it says patient savings. Medicare pays $154.17. Services not covered $169.82. So out of $5,057, my government insurance paid $154. (laughs) And and you have to pay the other part? No, because they, they, they they have to accept Medicare. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. That's a weird way of stating it, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's just the way they state it. But what's what's terrible about it is you can understand how does the practice make a living? How yeah. do you, you have to do like volume and volume and volume to pay your overhead? Yeah. Can you imagine that you agree to pay a vendor two thousand dollars for this, these supplies and and then they, they send you a bill and you say amount <laughs> amount not qualified is one thousand eight hundred twelve dollars and you're going to pay them one hundred eighty you know, one hundred eighty eight bucks and they're going to have to take that. Or you, or you, you know, go, to, oh, go ahead. I did do that with uh, St. John's when I went to the hospital, the ER for um, when I had that kidney infection, they sent me a bill for labs, Stu, that would have cost us a hundred and something dollars, $1,800. They sent me a bill and I said, I'm not paying it. I'm not paying. I'm not. I know you guys didn't pay $1,800 for those labs. I'm not paying it. And I basically did what you just said. <laughs> Here's your hundred and sixty dollars. <laughs> but you, but at least you called them and negotiated. You, you didn't just basically have the authority to just actually diminish it. That's right. True. They could have sent you to collections. Put it that way. They, they could have. <laughs> yeah, it's like going into a restaurant and your your bill comes for one hundred and eighteen dollars for dinner, and you say, "Well, here's thirty two. Bye. <laughs> 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 so. But that's but that's the healthcare system. Again, we talk about the system from all different aspects of how the whole thing is broken. Yeah. But they obviously did more than 160 some dollars worth of work on me. Yeah. Okay. I'm telling that's you, I was there all day. Yeah. 
unbelievable. Yeah, it's it 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 violates everything. Um, oh, then I stopped by my office in Century City uh, mm-hmm. just last week when I got back to town to go pick up some mail, and where there was May, let's see, it was like May twenty eighth or 29th. And they're still wearing masks and they're still taking your temperature when you walk in the door. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten <laughs> because I hadn't been to a medical facility. I think I talked in the last podcast how I was at um, uh, Rancho, Muri- Rancho Murrieta mm-hmm. Hospital to give a talk on breach, which was great. And the, but I didn't wear a mask. They didn't make me wear a mask. But in my office, the old my old employees made me put a mask on. Uh-huh. And then when I asked, why they gave me that age-old answer that your parents will give you when you're annoying them and that is because they said so it's it's policy (laughs) that's exactly what the parents would say it's our policy so then i asked the question well why is it the policy and instead of explaining to me well here's what the cdc says and blah 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 blah, they said because that's what the doctors here want so that's more of because i said so They're, they don't have a reason for why they're doing what they're doing. They're just doing it. Yeah. And if they can have evidence to support it, then just tell me you have evidence to support it. But they didn't want to bother with me. Right. I'm a, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm not part of that office anymore. And I, you know, they do not make a couple of employees obviously do, but most of the, there's some there that don't make me feel welcome. It's like walking into, I'm a stranger walking in there. So that's mystery. So weird. Can you imagine if you hadn't already moved offices, what that would have been like? You know, it was fortuitous because I moved offices January 1st of 2020. Yeah. (laughs) I've been there. There would have been a battle going on because I I wouldn't have done that. And I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because my clients generally, nobody wants to wear a mask. You know, everybody will do it out of courtesy. And maybe there was a period of time where we all did it. But once it became clear that this was, foolish and now we're at a point where either everyone's had COVID or everyone's vaccinated which obviously makes them at more risk for <laughs> catching COVID um there's no point in doing that anymore you're not stopping the spread of this common virus now basically it's a common it's a cold speaking of yes. a lot of people around here have been having symptoms yes. and testing negative I don't know if you have heard anything about that or have any information, but it seems to me like there might be another um, variant going around that just has such a low viral load that it's not getting picked up by the test. Do you you know anything about that? I would just say it's possible that the tests just suck. I mean, they've always kind of not been great, but I mean, most of the people are testing negative and it could be that we just have a regular cold or flu going around, but it seems it's interesting. Yeah, I I would just tell people, again, people have heard me say this and and I would tell people there's no point in, what's the point in testing? Unless someone demands that you're testing. If you don't feel good, stay home. If you feel fine, go out, right? I I feel a little bit differently. I had a client who's, who's early on, she's like, five weeks and she had symptoms. She even had a fever. And I said, she said, you know, do you have any recommendations? And I said, I would recommend that you get a test. And she said, can I ask why? And Mm -hmm. I said, she said, you know, I'll do whatever you feel comfortable with, but I just want to know why. And I said, you know, there's so much we don't know about this virus that I think for your um, healthcare overall to know whether or not you had just a cold or a coronavirus, especially when you're pregnant, you know, because we've been talking about this. It's not just the vaccine. It's like 
people who haven't been vaccinated, who potentially were exposed to the virus, who have things that happen in their pregnancy. So I think it's interesting for us to be able to document that and to be able to have a record going forward of, you know, did this person have the vaccine? What vaccine? What what trimester did they have it? Did they have, did they actually get the virus? What trimester did they get it? And then we look at whether or not we are seeing a correlation between those things. And if you don't test, then you don't know. But even if you test, maybe you don't know. Because well, the that, that's, a good, that's a good point. The, the, my only issue with that is that I don't know that anybody from any government agency is actually compiling that data. No, us. Oh, us, us. Okay. midwives and, and, and Dr. Stu's, right. <laughs> you know, I think it's good for us to be paying attention to what we're noticing, you know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just, I think that, I think the PCR tests are notoriously unreliable. Yeah. Therefore I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I understand yeah, your point is well taken as far as getting more understanding of the disease and, and, and what to tell people. And if you have a positive test, and you've never been vaccinated, you can be pretty sure that your immune system is going to work pretty well and that you're going to be better protected in the future than if you don't know that you had it. But I don't know that it will change behaviors that much. It's like, ultimately, what, no, are, we no, gonna, no. what are we going to do differently? Yeah. Just if your client has COVID and she's in labor, you're still going to go take care of her. And if your client has the flu prior to COVID and, you, and she was sick and she was in labor, you'd still go take care of her. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm not advertising that, but yes. Well, speaking of advertising, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Let's talk about bamboobies. Let's do it. Okay, so bamboobies <laughs> is a company that helps support the podcast, and they make great products, including now I've got some in front of me here. Um, they make some. We, we always talk about the breast pads and that sort of thing, but also they make. They have a whole um, store on their online at bamboo.com and they make these teas, which I had to remind myself, I'm going to bring them with me, by the way, I'm going to, going to give them away at the uh, live podcast, but um, one is for a heartburn tea and one is for nursing and one is for recovery tea after postpartum and one is morning sickness tea. Those are great. Don't talk about those things too often on our commercials. So I thought I'd bring it up today to remind people because I know you love the breast pads. So why don't you just talk about them? Because I love when you talk about the breast pads. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, made with bamboo, which is a great renewable resource. Um, they're heart-shaped, super cute. And um, I love them because they don't show through your clothing. That's why they did that sweet heart-shaped design so that you don't have this pad showing through your fashion. Those of you who care about that, um, it's lovely. And I love that they work so well. And um, instead of using a disposable pad, you know, that goes into the, mm -hmm. into our environment, you're reusing something and that's always better. So I, I love this company because they're very conscious about those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's completely washable. And if you go to bamboobies.com and use the code word instincts, you, you'll get 25% off your purchase. So please support them because they support us. Great. Thanks, Bamboobies. Thanks, Bamboobies. Okay, so you had some questions for me. So let's go right to those. And then I have a couple of letters. I think you might have had a letter or two. Okay. We had an intake with a client recently who had um, 
some LEAP procedures and colposcopies, which is what I, my question is about. But one of the things that was on her record was extropian. Is that how you say it? Yep. Okay. And I had to look, I had to look up what that was. So, but you know, when you first look it up, if you put in E-C-T-R-O-P-I-O-N, extropian, um, is extropian of the eyelids, which is basically like when the eyelids start to turn inside out, it's mm-hmm. very scary. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't think that that's what we're talking about. So you had to put an extropian of the cervix. Um, so do you want to explain what that is? Yeah. Well, briefly, the, um, the cervix is covered with two types of cells. There's the squamous cells on the outside. And then going up inside the canal are called the uh, columnar cells, or uh, uh, I guess we just call columnar cells or secretory cells. They're a single layer of cells, whereas the squamous cells are flat cells all piled up on each other, kind of like your skin. And where the two cells meet is actually called the transformation zone. And that's where pap smears are key because that's where um, cervical change and abnormalities and precancerous changes will take place, which is very nice. That's why cervical cancer is so easily detectable because it takes place on the outside. Well, the, the when you're young, you have endo, uh, the uh, endo cervical cells, the glandular cells, um, a little bit on the outside of your cervix. And as you get older, the squamous cells sort of win the battle and that the transformation zone sort of moves up and toward the internal os. When a woman's had babies and stuff like that, the cervix sometimes gets a little averted. And so there's more of these secretory cells exposed. And when they're exposed to the vaginal uh, environment, the, hus- the, uh, the acid pH and stuff like that, they tend to secrete more. So what, can, what ectropian can do is it just, it can cause more, more discharge, more secretions, that sort of thing. But it's a normal variation of the cervix. Does that make sense? Yeah, to okay. me, it does. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted you to, to review the difference between a colposcopy, a leap and a cone biopsy. Okay. Just briefly. Okay. Well, um, the screening test for abno- cervical abnormalities is a pap smear. And a pap smear is highly uh, uh, sensitive, but very nonspecific. And so in an ideal situation, you want a test that's both sensitive and specific. A sensitive test is a test that is positive when something is wrong, like the metal detector at the airport. Mm-hmm. A specific test is a test that's negative when nothing is wrong. And so the metal detector at the airport is highly sensitive, but not very specific because keys and belt buckles and stuff will go along. So what they do at the airport is they, they if you in the old days, they now they have these new machines, but in the old days, they would then ask you to step over here and they would do a pat down or they would hand search or whatever. Pap smears, again, are good for screening because they're cheap and easy to do and pretty much anyone can do one. And uh, But when they're abnormal, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with your cervix. It just means you need a test that's more specific. So it rules out things, false positives. You want to rule out false positives. So that's what a colposcopy is, which is essentially putting a speculum in, looking at the cervix with a microscope which blows it up and you're able to see it much more clearly. And then sometimes you'll use specific uh, washes or dyes on the cervix, which help to bring out areas that might be abnormal. So that's just, colposcopy is just looking. And sometimes when you do a colposcopy, if you see something abnormal, then you'll do a biopsy. Okay, because I thought colposcopy was when you took a a piece, but that is a biopsy. That's the biopsy. Colposcopy is just looking. Okay. That's the, if you look up the Latin, colpo means like, I think vagina or vaginal or something like that. And uh-huh. scopy, scopy always means looking like endoscopy, you know, arthroscopy, yeah. this means looking. So, um, but you do a biopsy. Okay. Then if the biopsy comes back 
showing something that needs to be removed. And there's questions, different people will be more aggressive or less aggressive, whether it's mild or severe or moderate dysplasia or something like that. But let's just assume it needs to be removed, okay? Then if you can see the transformation zone and you know that, that cervical cancer or precancer almost always develops at the transformation zone, and there's an area that's abnormal, you can use what's called a leap, which is kind of like just shaving off an abnormal area. And I liken it, I know it's a terrible analogy, but I liken it to if you're ever at a cocktail party and they have a big block of cheese, and then they have this little wire cutter on the cheese where you take it along and you shave off a little piece of cheese so you can put it on your cracker. Mm -hmm. I know you're making a face, but that's actually, uh, people understand what you're talking about. Yes, so a leap is, is essentially terrible. using electric current to shave off a circular part of the cervix, basically take off the transformation zone. So that so it's can, not it's not a knife. It's not cutting like that. It's it's cutting with electrocautery. It's a it's an electric cautery. Yeah. Yeah. So the woman described it as being able to smell her own flesh. Yes. It it cuts and cauterizes at the same time because it's using what's called a blend. Mm -hmm. And uh there's cutting current and there's cauterizing current. And, and don't ask me to get technical on that because I don't remember. Okay, I um, won't. And that's what you do. But however, if you have somebody who's got an abnormality on colposcopy or a biopsy, or when you can't quite see the transformation zone, you do something called an endocervical curettage, and it's going up into the cervix. Mm -hmm. Then you have to you have to remove areas that are farther up because you don't know what's up there because you can't see because it's higher up. So there's two ways to do that. One is to do a two-stage leap procedure, one where you shave off the surface and then where you change, the second is where you change to a smaller loop and then you take a, a segment going up about maybe a half a centimeter, maybe not even that far up into the endocervical canal and sending that as a separate specimen for the lab to look for, to be sure there's no abnormalities that are extending farther up. Got it. But if, if that doesn't work or if the, if the endocervical curatage comes back positive or the leap of the endocervix comes back positive, then you have to know, well, how far up does it go and what does it do? And then you do what's called a cone. Then you could suggest a cone biopsy, which is where you actually go in with a, in surgery uh, with anesthesia and you inject the cervix and you do this with leap too. You inject the cervix with a little bit of um, lidocaine with epinephrine so that it doesn't bleed much. And then you actually take out a small cone safe portion of the cervix. And that is, is a little more old fashioned. It's not done as much, but it is also potentially more damaging to the cervix and can lead to things like either cervical stenosis where a cervix won't dilate when you're in labor, or it could lead to incompetent cervix, which is a name yeah. that you and I hate because yeah. we hate the term incompetent cervix. Um, but that's what it's called. So we'll use that term where the cervix is now shortened a little bit because you've removed some of the integrity and some of the collagen and some of the things that keep the cervix holding the baby in. So it's gotta be a little bit more careful. So colposcopy is looking, biopsy is taking a small little bite, uh -huh. leap is shaving off an area and, uh -huh. and cone biopsy is removing a cone shaped segment. And cone biopsies aren't done very much anymore, you're saying? Not in our world. Uh, okay. Maybe in some countries that don't have the, the equipment to do leaps, they'll do them. But again, you would, you would really wanna try to avoid that in any woman of reproductive age, if you can. Yeah. Yeah. So um, last question, what is normal bleeding after a leap procedure? Minimal, what would you minimal, okay. uh, because you put stuff on the cervix 
there's cauter you can cauterize or you can use something called Moncel's solution, which is a, really a pasty yellow stuff. It's like mustard kind of, and it, it stops the bleeding. But what happens is a few days later, when all clots begin to break down, you might have some spotting, but it should never be heavier than a light period. Mm -hmm. uh, anytime that it's heavier than that, that would be abnormal. And you need to let your uh, practitioner know that. Why would a woman have clots, be passing clots after a LEAP procedure? Well, the only reason she's passing clots is because she's bleeding too much and the blood is coagulating in the vagina and then falling out when she sits on the toilet or when she's standing up. The clots yeah. don't come from the cervix itself. Blood comes from the cervix. Yeah. Like pools in the vagina, just like it would. Postpartum. Correct. Yeah. And uh, again, you might see that for an hour or two, but you really shouldn't be passing clots. If you are passing clots, it means that a little uh, arterial probably broke loose and needs to be cauterized. Now, if you can't get to your doctor right away, sometimes you can just take a tampon and just push it up against your cervix and hold it and hold it there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you can do that and just hold it there for 20 minutes, half an hour. And then you take it and then take it out and see if that stops the bleeding. Right. They wanted to put a suture. She went to the yeah. ER and they wanted to put a suture in it. And she was it, like, no. <laughs> oh, no, that, that, that would be something. Did, was this after a cone or was this after a leap? It was after a leak. Okay. Yeah. Well, putting a suture in is something you would do if you've got something that's going like, pss, pss. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. That doesn't work well on the radio. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's pumping. Pumping. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. You'd want to put a suture in that. And the suture is fine. It's as absorbable suture. It's not good. That is not going to make your cervix any less competent or any less uh, ability to conceive or do the things that it's going to do. It's going to stop the bleeding. It's like anything else. If you, if you, you have a, a gash or something that's that's bleeding. They want to they want to sew it up, so yeah. it stops. So I mean, that's not common, but it does. It could be a like a, a negative side effect sometimes. Is what yeah. If I if I saw if somebody when I was used to work in the hospital, and I saw somebody in the ER was having that kind of a problem. The first thing I would try to do is I would try to use the Moncells, or I would try to hold pressure on it, or I would try to get a cautery, just like a. Um, you know, like the leap thing, only with it's just a little ball on the end of it. And you can try to cauterize things like you yeah. would when you're doing regular surgery. And if that's not working and because the vessel is just too big a vessel um, coming off of the, maybe coming off of the cervical branch of the uterine artery or something like that, then you, then putting a suture in, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. You're welcome. That's it. So Bliss, time to pay some bills. Let's talk about element. <laughs> LMT, we love them. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. Some great product. Yeah, it's a tasty electrolyte drink with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt with no sugar and none of the BS. Right. Elements formulated to keep anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for folks following a keto, low carb, or paleo diet. We think that people who are in labor should have it. Birth workers should have it. People who like to work out and work to do their yard work should have it. That's uh, very, it, it has the key ingredients that your body needs. Reminds me of a, by the way, reminds me of a Star Trek episode <laughs> once where they did, they, these aliens would, would take all the water out of a, a body and there'd be a little cube of salt. And that uh -huh. was it. Yeah. And it should just have, it should have had element going across the other uh, cube of salt. It would have been great. So, um, there, so there's some great flavors. 
Yours is uh, mango chili. Mango I think. chili, I love. Yes. Well, we have grapefruit salt, watermelon salt, citrus salt, orange salt, raspberry salt, my favorite, raw unflavored, a lemon habanero, and chocolate salt. So these are great, uh, great flavors, and it's a great product, and it's it's doesn't waste plastic or bottles or that sort of thing. Um, you like that? I mean, you like that a lot when it's. I think I said eco-friendly. I said bio-friendly once, and yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. It's it's nice that 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 you're not wasting anything. You can just put it in your little water bottle, your reusable water bottle, and uh, keep going. So now their uh, promotion is that you, if whatever you, whenever you make an order with them, they'll send you a free gift pack along with it. If you go to Drink Element, that's D-R-I-N-L-K-L-M-N-T dot com backslash birthing instincts. So drink element backslash birthing instincts, whatever you order, you use the code word birthing instincts, you'll get a free gift pack sent home with you. Thanks element. Thanks element. So I got this letter. Um, she says, I found your podcast with Dr. Stu about a month ago. And I think I listened to nearly all 260 episodes. Ha. Huh. That's pretty good. She's really binging. Um, my daughter is probably tired of it, but I could probably catch a baby by the time she's two. She's eight months old. LOL. How many hours that is? It's a lot, a lot of hours. hours. Yes. <laughs> so the rest is long, so I'm not going to read it all. But the gist of this letter is that she is a student midwife who is trying to figure out the best way balancing a baby and getting done with her schoolwork. So she started with a um, midwife who she doesn't know that well in her area. It sounds like she doesn't have a lot of options. And she was talking about um, how this particular midwife was counseling. She said, the midwife, um, the midwife was on and on about blood sugars. The mother states that her fasting has been around 90 to 94 every day, except a day that she had ice cream, it was 102. They live an hour from any hospital. She has no true risk factor. She's going for a TOLAC, by the way. Um, the midwife starts about how she's concerned about carbs and her blood sugars should really get better. And they have thoughts about where they would like to deliver since they're so far from the hospital and they would likely need life flight if anything happened. Then the midwife tells a story of another mother who she cared for, who was a VBA 2C that ended in a third C-section. This, this mother visibly starts crying and the midwife doesn't stop telling the story. I just felt like the midwife was totally disconnected from any social cues and not showing any empathy towards the mother and her desires. Um, I wanted to jump across the room and give the mother a big hug and tell her that we would do everything we could to get her the birth she desired but I don't know what's appropriate. And I also don't want to step on the midwife's toes. I mean, I am three weeks into the apprenticeship. <laughs> anyway, um, I know that I won't share, share the same values as every midwife. I know that I can learn things from each one, but how do I know if I should just suck it up for a time and just get in some births under me? Or do I truly need to wait another six to 12 months to start with another local midwife? Um, so she, she talks a little bit more, but what I wanted to say is one of the things that we're doing with, um, this traditional midwife project that I'm working on is really bringing the honor back to the apprenticeship model. And 
I think that it's really important that you find, if you can, and I know not everybody has a lot of options in their area, but the best that you can is find a a preceptor that you really feel aligned with, that you really feel like they are someone that you believe in the way that they're practicing. And if you can't, if you are studying with somebody who you really feel is so vastly different from how you would practice, there is a lot of learning in that experience as well. Because I think that you are going to see, just like parenting, right? Like you're going to see either like, I want to do that, or I know I can see that that's something I don't want to do. And you're going to create your practice to be the way that you want. It would be completely inappropriate if you're in a preceptorship to go against what the midwife is saying with the client. It would be more appropriate to uh, talk to the midwife after, bring up some information that you've learned, discuss um, some of the feelings that you were having. Um, I think that is the really important part of the preceptorship is like finding out a way to have the lines of communication open so that you feel comfortable asking questions, but not challenging them with a with their client, because you are there representing their practices. These are actually their clients. And I get it. Um, if you feel so vastly different from how they're counseling, that might be, might become challenging. And you may decide that it's, that it doesn't work for you to continue to be witness to that. If that midwife is practicing in a way that is so different from your value system. But I do think that you can learn from all of those experiences, but I, but again, I wouldn't, I would never um, go against what the midwife is saying because you have developed a relationship with her and she's giving you an opportunity to learn. And that is something that's really sacred. You want to add something? Yeah, I have lots of thoughts on that. (laughs) Okay. I I had to write them down. I don't know that all the thoughts will come back to me because my brain doesn't focus that well. When I'm listening to you talk, I'm trying to listen and also formulate thoughts. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I agree with what you said. There's no way that at this point the midwife should chime, or the student should chime in and say something different than the midwife. You cannot, you cannot do that. It's kind of like the the dilemma that a lot of us face. Um, in you know, what doulas face this all the time. Um, like-minded people who end up going to medical school or residency, you know, they know that sometimes they just have to like plug their nose and suck it up um, to get through. Like my associate, Dr. Flores, she knew all along that. She didn't want to follow that model, but it's the only way to get your MD license. I mean, you get your MD degree and then get your state, you know, get your license is to go through that model. There's no other way to do that. So you have to suck it up. And sometimes during that process, you get indoctrinated and possibly like the midwife in, in, in a letter that'll be coming up where I talk about um, her um, being sort of rigid and, and, and uh, in her, recommendations uh you'll when we talk it'll be a letter coming up about vitamin k and that sort of thing so um so there's this this whole thing where as a student if you have choices obviously you want to be trained with like-minded people otherwise you're you're not going to have fun going to work every day it's not going to it's not going to be it's going to be a problem and so you know part of me wonders when you have midwives who are so sort of rigid or so sort of stuck in some of the medical model are they really comfortable with home birthing? And I'm just wondering to myself, um, you know, they're doing home birthing, but they're following 
everything medical, which means they're risking out people so quickly all the time. And I know we know practices here in LA that did that all the time. Um, they would have a transport rate really high or they'd have a transfer of care rate really high because every little thing was, it was, was a problem. Not normal. <laughs> Not normal. Yeah. And, and uh -huh. then, and then the thing that you said that struck me the most was the wisdom of this student, or maybe it was your wisdom. I don't remember who said it, but they said the word social cues, not. It was her. Not visualizing that they're, that the you're making the woman uncomfortable or that you're boring the shit out of them or you're, you know, you're, 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 you're not connecting. Yeah. And there are some people that have that skill. I think you and I both have that skill in, in the office setting. Um, and I can watch when, when somebody else is talking, I watch the facial expressions of the husband and the wife and, and, and I see, and I can see sometimes if they're, I, I can pick up on it right away that this is not resonating with them. Yeah. And so then I will sort of redirect the conversation back to where I think it's something that they're going to actually absorb um, that's beneficial and, and helpful to them or that's, that's along their alley. And I, I don't think that traditional schooling, the way it, when I traditional, I don't mean ancient, I mean the way things are right now, they even bring, they even bring in the concept of social cues. Um, yeah. You have certain dictates that you have to get out there and you get it out there. And if people don't like it, then that's their problem. And it's really that that's not healthcare. Yeah. And I think it's about, again, finding somebody, you know, it's not just about finding a preceptor who maybe has the same views about, you know, are they a medwife or, or a more traditional midwife, but it's also what you're saying, you know, it's, it's learning from somebody who, you know, is wise and, and you learn from them. How do you, how do you navigate some of these really difficult conversations? How do you counsel somebody and not fear monger them. These are, these are delicate conversations to be able to navigate. So that's why people talk about having multiple preceptors throughout learning, because you're going to learn something different from each person, because we're all individual in the way that we work and what is important to us. So, and I, and I look at this student midwife um, as already a wise person because she already realized yeah. that, that, that there's, there's, this isn't right. There's something wrong here. Whereas somebody who doesn't really have that sense, who's just fresh and just doesn't know anything, would just assume that this is maybe the right way of doing things or didn't have those people skills. So the midwife even writing you and asking the question tells you that th this woman has great potential. Well, she has listened to uh, 260 episodes of us. So there you go. <laughs> well, um, that that also makes it show how wise and... Right, exactly. Potential so um, do you want to say anything specifically about the uh, fastings numbers? Um, no, because because I don't chase single numbers. I look at the whole client and I don't care that her fastings are 90. How's how's everything else? You know, I mean, why are we checking them so often? How do we know that all I mean, how did we get into that in the first place? What was the reason for her first C-section? Was it because she had a macrosomic baby? I, I don't know enough yeah. to really comment on the numbers. And again, you and I don't, I mean, a lot of our clients will refuse the diabetes screening all altogether. So I don't know what her numbers are. I just, she seems to be growing fine. And 
she grows a six pound baby or a nine pound baby that doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to us in our model. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. it? Does it? Um, no, not for not for someone that you're looking at the whole thing and you don't have a large baby and you know. No, it sounds like this midwife is coming from past experience having something traumatic that happened to them that they didn't get resolved. And that's why her counseling is the way that it is. But yes, I would agree. Yeah, I would I would focus more on on her nutrition, what she's eating and how she's eating it. Um, and those sorts of things. If people are eating healthy food and they're and you know they're not going to require insulin, then then okay, so that's what her sugars are. So we'll just we'll just take what nature is giving us and deal with that. But you know, the thing that you want to talk to them about is really good nutrition. You know, how's her iron? How's her uh protein intake, how's her, you know, maybe you could get rid of these carbs and do that. And you could talk a little bit about diet, but, but I wouldn't chase the numbers. No. Great. Okay. Thanks for your input. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. I have two letters. I think we can get to both of them. I have this letter here and I want to read the first letter from anonymous. Uh, She says, um, I'm now 32 weeks pregnant. And during my last home birth, midwife prenatal appointment, I proactively brought up the question around the newborn shots, waivers, what I would and what I would need to decline by. And they said they offer to erythromycin and vitamin K. This is home birth midwives. Yeah. So she says, and then she writes, she writes a very good letter. She writes in context. Okay. In my opinion, I've done extensive research on both and declining erythromycin is a no brainer since I'm going to read in chlamydia negative. And I know my baby won't be sleeping around. after watching candace owens parlor series a shot in the dark i felt the vitamin k shot was also worth declining i also wanted to add i have listened to your birthing instincts podcast episode about vitamin k and like how you and bliss mentioned that there's likely a reason that babies don't produce vitamin k until around the first week after they're born implying that nature isn't dumb Uh here was a situation that unfolded during my appointment when I told the midwife and birth assistant we would be declining both, a midwife retorted with, quote, most people decline erythromycin. However, I would encourage you to think about vitamin K. So I asked her in return whether it would be the IM shot or drops. And she said in the state of Florida, they're only licensed to administer the IM shot. Mm-hmm. Which I'd like to take a segue here and just say, well, that doesn't mean you can't counsel about the oral sh- oral thing and just tell the parents to give the right the, exactly the drops. yeah right exactly yep you know grandma can give the drops anybody can give the drops yeah okay she says now i know there's a preservative free version however it appears that that version has polysorbate 80 a questionable preservative so i felt like i didn't owe it to her to go into a lengthy detail in order to justify the reasons behind me declining It's my right as a client. However, I I felt a little condescended to when she said, are you basing your decision off evidence-based birth? I just hope you're not getting your information off a blog post. Not a good thing to say to people. Mm -hmm. I explained the research I do extends far beyond a blog post, and I am familiar with evidence-based birth. However, ultimately decisions my husband and I make for our baby boils down to parents' intuition And we feel there is a reason nature intended for babies to produce vitamin K autonomously by around day eight. So then she told me, quote, and that's fine if it's based off what you feel personally. We're all about true informed consent here. However, I want you to know there are no risks, and she capitalizes no, with the intramuscular shot. 
Some moms ask me for a black for the black box warning. However, there is none. Okay, so I'm going to digress here for a second. I'm going to take this literally off the package insert, which is in a Good. black box. <laughs> Good. <laughs> warning: intravenous and intramuscular use, severe reactions, including fatalities, have occurred. Have also been reported following intramuscular administration. Typically, these severe reactions have resembled hypersensitivity or anaphylaxis, including shock and cardiac or respiratory arrest. Some patients have exhibited these severe reactions on receiving phytonadione, which is vitamin K, for the first time. Therefore, the intravenous and intramuscular routes should be restricted to those situations where the subcutaneous route is not feasible and the serious risk involved is considered justified. So when a midwife says with certainty that there's no risk and there's no black box warning, and the, and the client knows that there's a black box warning, what, what happened? What do you do? So I had a deer in the headlights moment, she says, and I wish I didn't have because I know vitamin K does have a black box warning. Yeah. However, I feel ill-prepared and put on the spot in my own living room since mm -hmm. I didn't have it in front of me. I felt like she would judge me for being crazier and I wanted to diffuse a potential conflict. Mm. Really common scenario that we have of, of wanting to please those people that we, that we hire and that, you know, she's working for you. And yet we don't want to cause conflict. And that's, that's innate in most good people. I think these opportunities where you have someone who challenges you and it's, it's an opportunity for you to grow as a person, not just having to do with whether or not you get what you're desiring for your birth, but it's about you feeling the ability to be able to say, this is what I want. And, and whether or not that relationship is really serving you too, is that a red flag that you feel like you can't communicate about what's important to you? Um, is that a growing moment? You know, are you getting pushed to an edge? For me, all of those are opportunities to be able to have um, transformation, which is what I feel like we're so ripe for during this time of our lives to be able to transform. So that's what I want uh, And this say. woman told me, Bliss, that this is the third practitioner she switched from. Um, so she didn't want, she's already 36 weeks or 32 weeks. And she she didn't want to um, have to switch again. I get it. But get it's it. the community that, she, that it's a community in the state that she lives in that are very sort of obtuse this way. And she said, I also felt like this is someone who has potentially been brainwashed fresh out, fresh out of woke midwifery school. And we're going to have to agree to disagree. So all I could think of to say in the moment was, well, the vitamin K shot does not just have vitamin K as an ingredient. She just stared at me blankly. While masked, by the way, she's wearing a mask at her, at yeah. her home visit. Yeah. And we sat there in silence. She then said, I can tell you hemorrhagic disease is not super common. Maybe one out of every 8,000 babies. I, I think it's about one out of every 16,000, but quite frankly, those are exactly the same number. So that's mm -hmm. actually pretty cool. However, then she adds this, as someone who has seen it, I can tell you it's not pretty. Yeah. Err. Then I started to feel compelled to shed light into my reasoning a little bit more to get her off my case. So I said, well, since you won't be catching this baby with forceps or vacuum, and I hope not to have a traumatic, I hope to have a non-traumatic birth at home, I don't see the need for vitamin K shot. The midwife said traumatic birth and the use of forceps vacuum being correlated with hemorrhagic disease in a baby is a widely perpetuated myth and is not evidence-based. I've heard this from so many sources, she said. So once again, I felt put on the spot put on the spot, ill-prepared and caught off guard. 
that actually is true. We've talked about that before. This is not related to external bruising. Right. It's a random I, thing I, that happens internally. Yeah. yeah, I do think that that's a myth that we need to uh, try and get rid of because that it's, it doesn't have to do with trauma in birth. Right. Yeah. And she said, so finally, she says, also, let's be real. Evidence-based isn't the end all be all. And that right. is absolutely true. All yes, right. we agree. And, right. Evidence-based is it's garbage in, garbage out with evidence-based stuff. However, and just because something's published, that makes it, that gives it the credibility of evidence, but it could be crap. Exactly. So, however, it's become apparent that that's what my midwife's modus operandi, you know, was it an evidence-based birth that published the scam, the arrive trial? Yeah, so it's just what we said. My mother's intuition rules above all else. I just hope my intuition isn't wrong when it comes to glucinating the vitamin K shot. So I don't think your intuition's wrong. I don't think Bliss thinks your intu intuition's wrong either. Well, I mean, your intuition is your intuition. You know, I think that I think that as um, as human beings, we're very disconnected with that part of ourselves. And I really want to support you in continuing to follow what feels right for you, because that is what life is about. It's about finding your own inner truth on your journey here. So, yep. And intuition, by the way. Um, you know, isn't it going to be right every time. No. None of us are right all the time. But in this particular case, your intuition will be right 7,999 out of 8,000 times. The statistics are on your side. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that letter. This next letter is, this is from Valentina. And she says, good morning, Dr. Stu. I've messaged before about my sister who is working towards a VBAC. Her baby was breech position. She has been going to a chiropractor and doing all the spinning baby stuff. Last Wednesday, my sister went in for her scheduled C-section appointment at 39 weeks because they had thought until then the baby was breech. But before she was rolled into the OR, she had a doctor check baby's position and it was discovered that the baby was flipped and was now head down. Mm -hmm. Great. My sister held her ground and said she was not going to get cut that day and sure, and sure enough, her doctor was pissed. The doctor even went on to express how never in all her years has a baby flipped like this so close to the end and that it never happens. And how is she not sure that how that happens because there's barely any room for the baby to flip? I'm reading that accurately. It just, the English wasn't quite right there. But. I'm like, yay, baby. I love that baby for like challenging, you know, what could possibly happen? I love it. Yeah, and I told a story before about uh, when I was at the little hospital in Oxnard, California, and I was just finishing a delivery and I saw there was somebody in the, in the pre-op area going to go in for a, a C-section for breach. She was a gravita three pair of two with two previous vaginal deliveries. And the doctor was doing the C-section, didn't offer her a version, didn't offer her um, a uh, breach vaginal birth or referral to any place else, took her in to do a C-section and opened her up and the baby was head down. And they didn't even bother checking. And this guy happened to be the chairman of the department at that time. And there was never any sort of uh, peer review on that. So wow. that's just another one of those stories that just makes me so glad to not be having to deal with that environment anymore. Yeah. So she goes on, she says, doctor thought she could coerce or encourage them to get a C-section done because, quote, well, you're already here. Everything is prepped. You might as well. Mm -hmm. When my sister told her, no, she's been going for a VBAC. So she was just wanted to do a repeat C-section. 
Yeah. Uh, she's been going for a VBAC this entire time and she will continue to aim for it. Her doctor pulled the quote, you know, baby is only going to get bigger. There's a chance baby will break a shoulder, etc." Oh my God. And my sister was still adamant about saying no. I mean, here we are in a system where she's stuck with this doctor pretty much. Yeah. There's no other doctor in, in, a, in a medical system. It depends on the system, but is likely to pick up somebody at 39 weeks and take them into their care. Right. From a multitude of reasons, some of them reasonable, some of them financial. Yeah. But, um, uh, so you're stuck with that. Um, she's adamant about saying no. Well, she's reaching 40 weeks. And in that time, she ran into a story online about a mother whose water had been broken for a week and she didn't know. And the baby asphyxiated on meconium. Uh, OK, God. Oh, my God. She's working so hard not to fear big baby shoulder dystocia or tearing or the pains of labor. But after reading this story and having so much pressure the past few days with no real signs of active labor, she's becoming fearful and is sitting again with the thought of getting a C-section, a repeat C-section, because what if that happens to my baby? Yeah. I'm writing all of this to you and saying, I know you and Bliss have discussed the risk of meconium asphyxiation, but I can't find the episode. I couldn't find it either, but I know it's back there someplace. I told her to go look. Um, I wanted to listen to it again and hopefully send it to her to ease part of her mind and heart. I've already expressed to her that she's not had her water break or any other signs of danger, but I'm hoping her hearing that episode would encourage her and give her her power back. And then I wrote back to her. I said, me, this is what I wrote. Your, si your sister is in a messy situation, sort of painted herself into a corner. A doctor who is projecting nothing but fear is not going to be supportive of her labor. And now your sister is full of fear herself, which weighs heavily in the mind and is dysfunctional for labor going smoothly. Without consulting and examining her, I can only speak in generalities. Quote, big baby is so overplayed by OBs and it's almost never even a real thing. I don't remember which episode was the meconium one. You'd have to go back through the show notes to find it. This vicious cycle of fear once begun is very difficult to undo and she is without support from her birth team anyway. I really don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it. This is this is the conversation I was having a couple of weeks ago. It's like, you know, when you when you're talking to someone about their fear, there's there's really there's really no place you can go with that. It is a it is a solo journey. You can be encouraging. You can be loving. You can give the counter offer, you know, the counter um, possibilities. Um, but you know, this is a risk benefit analysis that each one of us has to determine what feels right for us and for someone to push someone into trusting a situation that they don't feel right. Their instincts, they don't feel that that's right for them. And then we have a bad outcome. That's, that's not, that's not, what any of us would want, you know, so it, you, there isn't much to say, and it does feel very frustrating for us that have seen so many beautiful things and that the majority of it works out to, to watch someone getting funneled down this road of fear and then making this choice, but it is an individual choice. And the only thing that we can do is just say, we understand because that's the culture that we live in and there is something else possible and but you have they have to get to that something else possible on their own they have to find it within themselves unfortunately yeah, yeah that's very wise uh, um 
I just, I, I think, you know, fear is this, is this terrible seed that once planted is very difficult to get rid of. And, and yes. I, I just, I just think if this woman or any other woman who has the same scenario had never entered the medical care system, had never like found some Facebook group or some, you know, blog where they're, you know, a scary blog, right. She would just consider this to be a normal function of her body. And none of this stuff would have happened. I don't know the reason for her first C-section. I can only imagine <laughs> because I mean, if she's, if this is the kind of medical care she's in, uh, entrusted with, I mean, she, the likelihood that she had a, a real good chance with her first pregnancy is probably pretty small based, yeah. on, based on our experience. But if, if she would have just avoided the system in the first place, then none of this would have been happening. So true. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that the system is is wrong for every single person, but when you look at a risk benefit analysis of the current system, if you really looked at it objectively, I think you'd find that the risks outweigh the benefits of the current medical system. Well, we um, obviously feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate everybody listening and, and joining us today. Um, send in your thoughts on uh, on what the hospital does and why it's wrong. And I'll be happy to uh, respond to that one. Okay, right? great. Yep. Good to see you, Stu. Have a great day. I hate saying goodbye to you. Oh, <laughs> you have to come visit me. Yeah, I'm off tomorrow to take the horse up to uh, Mariposa's up to Alyssa's house. So that's that's my job tomorrow. Give her a big hug from me. I will give everybody a big hug to you. I'll, I'll, okay. I will. All right, Bliss, okay. be safe. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 